I had met God, but I had forgotten God. I kept running away from peace and the way of God. And all that time, I thought I was outrunning my sin. You can never outrun your sin. It will catch you. God tried to show me through my Uncle Laban. I took two wives. I loved only one. Two women. One man. Bad arithmetic. Chaos. Uncle Laban was using me as I had used my father. My wives were using me as I had used my brother. But I was as blind as my father and as thick-headed as my brother. So I took my blessing in my own hands. Fair and square, like before. And he wanted to kill me, Laban, like before. Again, I ran with my wives and all our children. I ran for my life just as I had run from Esau. Chaos followed. But God followed closer. He warned Laban in a dream not to touch me. And again, he delivered me. God was blessing, but not because of me, in spite of me. Tonight we're continuing the series that we started last Sunday night, The Messy Life of Jacob. I had intended just to do one night on him and move on to some other characters in the Old Testament, but really wanted to kind of finish the story tonight of The Messy Life of Jacob. I love that line at the end of the video where he said, God was blessing, not because of me, but in spite of me. And one of those times of God's blessing occurs in Genesis chapter 33. So would you open God's Word with me? This is where we left off last Sunday night. Genesis chapter 33. Last week we talked about Jacob wrestling with God. And that great event that shaped his life and, and how God used him from that moment forward. How, how he wrestled with God. And tonight we pick up the story of Jacob as he encounters his twin brother Esau. Now, before we get into that, let me remind you that a couple of Sundays ago, on a Sunday morning, we talked about forgiveness. Jesus, in one of the parables, talked about forgiveness. Remember, Simon Peter came to Jesus and said, how many times do I have to forgive that guy? Remember that, that couple of weeks ago? And so tonight, we're going to really see an Old Testament picture of what Peter was talking about in, in the New Testament uh, as we look at the messy life of Jacob. You'll remember that Jacob's twin brother Esau had vowed to kill his brother. 
We talked about that last week. Let's go back so that we can review for just a moment. Go back to chapter 27, Genesis chapter 27. Look at verse 41. After Jacob had stolen his brother's uh, blessing from his father, the Bible says in verse 41, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And he said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. You don't have to read between the lines to understand the hatred that is there. You don't have to read very closely to see that that Esau was seething with anger and bitterness toward his own brother, and rightly so. Now, Jacob, because he knows that his life is on the line, Again, this is just review. Jacob flees uh, from his brother Esau and he goes to his uncle Laban in Padan Aram. And that's where he spent a good number of years working for his, his uncle Laban. Then in chapter 31, go over to chapter 31. We're just reviewing, trying to catch up from last Sunday. Chapter 31, God told Jacob to go back to the land of his fathers. Chapter 31 Verse 3, Then the Lord said to Jacob, Go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. And that promise, I will be with you, was an important promise to this whole process. Go back to the land, because if you go back, I'm going to be with you. I know you're concerned about your brother. I know that he wanted to kill you. I understand there's kind of a death threat on your head. But go back to that land, and I will be with you. So Jacob enters the promised land and he sent messengers to his brother. Chapter 32, verses 3 through 6. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he instructed them, this is what you are to say to my master Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. And I have cattle and donkey and sheep. Or sheep and goats and men servants and maid servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. And when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and we talked about this last week, and now he is coming to meet you. It'd be wonderful if there was a period there, right? Now he's coming to meet you, and the Bible says, and 400 men are with him. And that's kind of where we left off last week. Your brother is indeed coming to see you. And he's bringing 400 men with him. But we needed this background to understand the drama of chapter 33. This is where we pick up the story tonight. Genesis chapter 33. It simply says this, Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. And he put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. Now it's so interesting what Jacob did here. When he looks up and he sees his brother coming with the 400 men approaching, he divides up his family. He gives them a certain order. Now I want to ask you a question and I want you to participate with me this evening. Why do you think Jacob put the women and children in this particular order? You might need to read it again to get the idea in your mind. 
So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. He put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. Why do you think he divided his family up like that? Say that again. Exactly. Jacob wanted to keep his favorite wife and his favorite child farthest away from the potential harm. And so he put the maidservants first, their children, and he put then uh, Leah and her children and then Rachel. Now, trying as best he can, he's trying to handle the situation. But he does one admirable thing. He goes out in front. When you're first reading the story, you think he's stacking the, the girls and the, and the women, and he's going to be behind them, you know? It seems almost cowardly, but no, that's not what he's doing. He's trying to protect his favorite wife and his favorite son, and then he goes out front. And I want you to see this, the drama, how it unfolds. Uh, he goes out front. Look how he does this in verse um, 3. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brethren. Now, before we read verse 4 and get into all that happened there, how many men were coming towards Jacob? Let's talk about that for a second. Jacob is is going towards his brother Esau, and he's bowing down seven times as he approaches his his brother. And we'll talk about what that means in just a moment. But, But the question I want to ask is this. Why do you think Esau brought 400 men? You don't need to answer that, but I want you to think about it. Why did he bring 400 men? And I would say to you, there's probably one of two answers. Either, number one, he still doesn't trust Jacob. And you know, you just got to be careful with that guy. This is kind of my insurance policy, because you just never know. So either he doesn't trust Jacob, or he's coming to get revenge. Why else do you bring 400 guys with you? But, here's the incredible thing. When Esau saw his brother, they haven't seen each other now for about 20 years, and when Esau saw his brother, all of a sudden his heart melted toward his brother. Look what the text says. Verse 4, But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And they wept. One of the most beautiful reconciliations I think you'll ever see in Scripture. Especially when you know the background, when you know the backstory, when you know the, the hatred that Esau had toward his brother Jacob. When you understand how much Jacob had done against his brother and his family. How Jacob had mistreated his father. When you understand the family dynamics and how difficult that whole situation was. Jacob is coming back towards his brother. Esau is approaching. And regardless of why he had those 400 men with him. When Esau sees his brother Jacob, his heart melts. And he runs to him. And he embraces him. And he weeps. And he kisses him. Now that brings us to a very big discussion question. And I want you, you know, we're pretty relaxed on Sunday night. So I want you to talk to somebody next to you. In front of you, beside you, behind you. I want you to discuss this question. It's a really big question. And the question is this. What's more difficult? 
to forgive or to be forgiven? What's more difficult? To forgive someone or to be the one that is forgiven? Talk to a neighbor. Come up with the answer. All right, let's see what you came up with. It's just opinion here. I'm just asking, uh, what do you think is more difficult to be the one doing the forgiving or to be the one being forgiven? What's more difficult? I hear some mumbling. Forgiving? To be forgiven. But you could argue it either way, really. You see, huh? What? I agree. I agree. Absolutely. It really does depend on the situation. You say, if you say it's more difficult to forgive, you're right. When someone forgives someone, they're, at least, they're doing at least two things. They are choosing to overlook the pain of the past, and they're choosing to give the offender another chance. And that's not easy. Nothing easy about overlooking the pain of the past. And there's nothing easy about choosing to give the offender another chance. So you're right. It is more difficult to forgive. Unless, of course, it's more difficult to be forgiven. If you say it's more difficult to be forgiven, you would be right. You see, because when you are the person that has to be forgiven... You're doing at least three things. First of all, you're admitting your own guilt. And that's not easy. Number two, you're accepting what you don't deserve. That's not easy. Number three, you're hopefully agreeing to a new course of action. You're going to live differently. And that's not easy. Which is more difficult, to forgive or to be forgiven? It all depends on your point of view. It all depends on what you're going through. Sometimes you're the offender and sometimes you're the victim. And my point is simply this. The truth is, both are humanly difficult, aren't they? It's humanly difficult to be forgiven and it is humanly difficult to forgive someone. One thing we can't agree on though probably is this. Whether you are the one that is forgiving or you're the one that is being forgiven, the goal is always the same. The goal is healing and reconciliation and reunion and restoration. And that's the story of Jacob and Esau. It's the story of healing, it is the story of reconciliation, it is the story of reunion. It is the story of the messy life of Jacob. 
and how he is returned to his family and to Esau. But I'm going to be honest with you and say that forgiveness is often very, very hard and very, very difficult and sometimes very, very slow. And sometimes it's, it's the same if you are the one that's being forgiven. It's very, very difficult sometimes to accept forgiveness. Now, let's go back to the story. Uh, Genesis chapter 33. In Genesis chapter 33, look at verse 4 again. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him and they wept. What a moment that must have been. Think with me about that moment for, a moment, uh, for just a second. As Jacob is bowing down, taking a few more steps, bowing down, taking a few more steps, bowing down, and he does that seven times, which was a sign of total submission, which was an admission of his own guilt. It was his way of saying, you were right and I am wrong. He was admitting his own guilt. As he's bowing down towards his brother, his brother is running towards him. As he's coming to his brother, unsure of what's about to happen, because his brother has 400 men behind him. He sees his brother running towards him, but he doesn't know why his brother is running towards him. And he continues to bow down seven times. Continues to bow down to show his submission. He continues to bow down to show his guilt. And all of a sudden, the last time he bows down, when he stands back up, Esau is there and he embraces him. And he hugs him. And he kisses him. And all of a sudden, 20 years of history are gone. All of a sudden, 20 years of pain are gone. The animosity of 20 years had been swept away at that moment. And so let's continue the story. Verse 5. Then Esau, after he's wept with his brother, embraced his brother. Verse 5. Then Esau looked up and he saw the women and the children who are, who are these with you? He's never met these people because they've been gone 20 years. Who are these with you, he asked. Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the maidservants and their children approached and bowed down. And next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. And last of all, Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. And Esau asked, what do you mean by all these droves I've met? Uh, that goes back to chapter 32. If you'll remember back in chapter 32, verses 17 and 18, Esau was trying to basically bribe his brother. He kept sending uh, you know, a group of cattle and a group of donkeys and, a, and, and all kinds of animals. Just, he, he would send them in groups and he would say to the servant, when you see Esau, you be sure to say, this is for you and it's from your servant Jacob. And he was trying to basically bribe his brother, trying to get in his good graces. And so... Esau finally says, what was the deal with this? And here's what, how Esau responds. Verse 8, Esau asks, what do you mean by all these droves I met? And at least Jacob is, is honest here. He says, to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. <laughs> I was trying to get on your good side. 
I was trying to find favor because I knew I was in the wrong. Keep reading. Verse 9, But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob. If I found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face, watch this church, for to see your face is like seeing the face of God now that you have received me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted. I want to pause there for a moment and make what I think is a crucial observation. In this chapter, it's interesting that it is Esau who is the one who is, can I say it this way, who is acting better than Jacob. It's interesting as this story unfolds, at every point Esau seems to be taking more or less the higher road of the two. And what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, Esau is the one that runs towards his brother. Esau is the one that's ready to forgive. Jacob is looking like and acting like a guilty man. He keeps talking to Esau, referring to him as my Lord and I'm your servant. Jacob is acting like, talking like a very guilty man. Esau refers to him as my brother. While Jacob is trying to push a gift on him, Esau is inviting Jacob to his home. Now, now which one of these was the son of promise? Jacob was. Which one of these was chosen by God? Jacob was. Which one of these came to be one of the great patriarchs of our faith? Jacob was. And yet it was Esau who's ready and willing and eager to forgive. It was Esau who was more than willing to give Jacob another chance. And yet, this is where the story takes a twist. You know that Jacob, do you remember we talked last week what the name means? Do you remember what his name means? Say it louder, Terry. Yeah, hangs on to a heel grabber. Do you remember those different stories of how Jacob was a deceiver? Uh, We said that, I said last week that quite frankly I didn't like Jacob very much because he, he, when you look in the scripture, he's just a liar, a manipulator. And I've always struggled to look like, God, why did you choose him to be one of the patriarchs? And then then we talked last week about how he wrestled with God and, and God changed him and God used him in a great way. So I get all that. I understand all of that. You would think, listen to me, you would think that once this reconciliation occurred, you would think that Jacob would be so grateful that from that moment on, he would treat his brother with great respect. And yet, what we read in the text, here is Jacob, one more time, lying to his brother. After the reconciliation. Look at the text with me. This is where it gets so interesting to me. Uh, Let's look at the text together. One final deception. Uh, Let's go down to verse 12 and pick up the story there. 
Then Esau said, Let us be on our way, and I'll accompany you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord, or my Lord knows that the children are tender and that I must care for the ewes and the cows that are nursing their young. If they're driven hard, just one day all the animals will die. So let my Lord go on ahead of his servant while I move along slowly at the pace of the droves before me and that of the children until I come to my Lord at Seir. Esau said, then let me leave some of my men with you. But why do that? Jacob asked. Let me find favor in the eyes of my Lord. So that day, Esau started on his way back to Seir. Jacob, however, went to Succoth, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. This is why the place is called Succoth. This is such a strange thing, isn't it? Think with me for a moment. Reconciliation, yes. But reconciliation is still difficult. I don't know exactly, I can't read between the lines perfectly, but it just seems like Jacob's old nature is coming to the surface again. And when Esau invited Jacob to come home, I want you to come home with me. Jacob lied to his brother. And he said, oh, we'll do it, but let us follow you. We'll have to go at a slower pace. We'll follow you there. And we'll end up there, but but we're going to go at a slower pace. And the Bible says that Jacob went west to Succoth. And his brother Esau went south to Seir. I would say to you that reconciliation and receiving forgiveness sometimes is difficult, isn't it? We don't know exactly why Jacob did this. The only thing we do know is that it appears that he deliberately, intentionally misled his brother one more time. Perhaps, this is speculation, perhaps he was afraid if I go to his house, if I live where he lives, we're going to have problems again. That makes sense, doesn't it? It's like, okay, I'm going to reconcile with him, but if I go, if I, if, if we live in the same community, we're going to have problems again. So maybe that's the reason he went the different direction. Or, maybe he, he, he thought, you know, if, if I go back there, it's going to bring back a lot of old memories that I don't want to remember. For whatever reason, he lied to his brother, and he said, well, we'll follow you home to Seir, but in actuality, he and his family went to live at Succoth. Now the story ends on a positive note. Because we see in verses 18 and following this. After Jacob came from Padam Aram, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan and camped within sight of the city. For a hundred pieces of silver, he bought from the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. And there he set up an altar called El Eloi Israel. There he set up an altar. Here's what I want you to understand. The final proof of Jacob's sincerity is the altar he builds to God. And there he worships God. And he's praising God for His goodness. And he's praising God that He brought him home. And he's praising God that he has been restored to Esau. Is healing possible? Yes. Healing is possible. But, 
Reconciliation is sometimes difficult. So I want to give you three things. I want you to write these down as we make personal application. Uh, With that background of that story, I want to give you three things. Uh, How you can know when you really have forgiven someone. Using the story of Jacob and Esau, how do you know that you really have indeed forgiven someone? Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I've struggled with forgiveness. And I have said I have forgiven you, when in reality maybe I haven't. How do you know when you really have forgiven somebody? I want to show you three things real quickly. Here's number one. Number one is this. We release the person from the debt they owe us. We release them from the debt they owe us. By an act of the will, you release them from that debt. Here is is Esau coming towards Jacob at the first part of chapter 33. Coming towards Jacob with 400 men. He has every right to attack his brother. He has every right in his mind to kill his brother. His brother has lied to his father. His brother has, has deceived him twice. His brother has stolen from him. He has every right to attack his brother and get his vengeance. And instead, when he comes to his brother, he embraces him. He kisses him. He welcomes him back. You know you have forgiven somebody when you release the person from the debt they owe you. Number two, you know you have forgiven somebody when you accept them as they are. You accept them as they are. When you read the story, and I'm not just reading between the lines, if you take the time to go verse by verse, you will see this. When you read the story, you don't see anywhere in the story where Esau is demanding that Jacob prove that he's different. There's nowhere in the story where Esau is laying out a list of demands. In fact, he's not asking Jacob to do anything. He hasn't even asked for Jacob to apologize. And I hear that so often. Well, when he apologizes, when she comes back and apologizes, then I'll forgive them. But that's not what's happening in this story. Yes, Jacob was bowing down seven times to admit his guilt. Yes, he was bowing down to admit his submission. But Esau didn't know if Jacob had changed or not. Watch this. Listen to this. Listen, listen, listen. Esau did not know if Jacob had changed or not, but Esau had changed. He once wanted to kill his brother. And now he embraces him and accepts him. He didn't know if his brother had changed, but he had changed. You know you really have forgiven someone when you have changed. You know that you really have forgiven someone third and finally. You know you've forgiven someone When you literally make reconciliation with that person. And you initiate it. You make reconciliation. There's two incredible words I want you to see in verse 9. If you were just reading, if you didn't know the whole story, you may not think, well, that's not very incredible. But when you know the whole story, there are two words that to me are incredible in verse 9. But Esau said, I already have plenty. What's the next two words, church? My brother. I already have plenty. My brother. 
He could have said, I already have plenty, period. That would have made sense. But he added, I already have plenty, my brother. You say, well, pastor, I think maybe you're reading too much into that. Maybe so. But do you remember what he called him previously in chapter 32? He referred to him as his enemy, an enemy so bad that he wanted to kill him. He planned to kill his brother. His brother was not his brother anymore. His brother was his enemy. He planned to kill his brother. But in verse 9, he's not referring to Jacob as his enemy. He's referring to Jacob as my brother. A man that had an impact on Jacob. You know why I know that? Verse 11, please accept the present that, that was brought that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me. And I have all I need. Uh, I'm sorry. Verse, uh, verse 10. No please said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes. Accept this gift from me. For to see your face. Is like seeing the face. Of God. To see your face. It's like seeing the face of God. That's how welcomed he felt. You know you have forgiven someone when your enemy can see God in you. Humanly, you can't bring that about. But you know you have forgiven someone when they see God in your face. Now, before we leave, I've got to address one thing that sometimes I hear from people and I have experienced personally. Pastor, I want to forgive and I want to reconcile, but they don't want to reconcile. They don't want anything to do with me. They've made it very clear that they hate my guts. They made it very clear they don't ever want to have another conversation with me. How, what, what must I do there? Because it's not that kind of a relationship where we can come back together. Uh, they have made it clear they don't ever want to see me again or talk to me again. All you can do, listen to me, all you can do is to be reconciled on your side of the fence. All you can do is quit considering them as an enemy the Bible says, as much as possible, live at peace with all men. All you can do is live at peace with them as much as is possible with you. Don't treat them as the enemy. Treat them as a brother or as a sister. And let them see the face of God in you. They may never respond. They may never come back. They may never accept you. They may never accept your apology. But that doesn't mean you can't show them the love of God. On your side of the fence, you live in right relationship with God. On your side of the fence, you quit treating them as the enemy. On your side of the fence, you let them know reconciliation is available. The story of Jacob, the messy life of Jacob, has a beautiful ending as Jacob is reconciled to his brother and they are restored. And I want to end tonight by praying for you and praying with you. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. I know that forgiveness with every head bowed, every eye closed, I know that forgiveness is a, sometimes a process and it sometimes is painful. But whatever the pain, whatever the cost, 
you can't afford to hold on to an unforgiving spirit another day. You keep your eyes on Jesus because He's the one who has forgiven you. And then you be committed to doing the same for others. It will be a liberating day for you when you can honestly say to someone, I have forgiven you. That will be a liberating day. I have forgiven you. And Father, I pray for these dear folks. I know that there are uh, circumstances that sometimes are beyond our control. There are things that, that we can't change, but on our side of the fence, help us to, to live in such a way that people see God in our face and in our lives. Thank you, most of all, that we have forgiveness in Jesus. And it's because of Him, His willingness to forgive us, that we have the opportunity and the ability to forgive others. And Lord, for those who right now are in a painful problem, painful situation, I just pray for Your grace to be sufficient, for Your Spirit to give them wisdom, and for Your Word to bring fruit in their life. May it be in the name of Jesus and for His glory. And I pray that. Amen.